and welcome to another edition of DevOps.fm, the podcast that talks all things DevOps. I'm your host, Brian Randall, and with me is my co-host, Mickey Gousset. Each week, we work to bring you news, interviews, and discussions around DevOps topics that are relevant to you, dear listener. Quick disclaimer, Mickey and I are both GitHub employees, but all opinions, thoughts, and comments presented on this podcast are strictly our own and do not represent GitHub or any other entity in any official fashion. This week's topic, planning. But before we jump into the topic, let's catch up on our weeks. Mickey, how has your week been? Hey, Brian. My week has been going pretty well so far. Let's see. I have been closing all my rings, which is positive. As you know, listeners, I have been on a quest to close my rings every day on my Apple Watch, which means that I get in so much exercise, so much standing, and so much general movement. And I'm on day 20, and I have been able to do that every day, which is great. I'm actually on a little group with Brian and two of our other friends, Ben and Martin. So we also have a little competition going, so that's pretty cool. Unfortunately, this week, I had a disaster with my Apple Watch as well, Brian. Brian, have you ever dropped something? I drop things all the time, Mickey. So I drop things too, and normally it's okay. The problem is I have tile floors in my house. And normally when I drop things, though, they have cases on them. But my Apple Watch does not have a case. So it I was taking it off. It I dropped it and it just went completely flat face down and I heard crunch. Now, what's interesting is these things are nigh indestructible from an electronics standpoint because electronically it still works. Just the glass screen is completely shattered. So if I'm willing to swipe my finger across it, then I can actually use it. But I run the risk of, you know, some glass in the finger. That could hurt. Most definitely. Now, the good news is I had insurance on it. I had Apple Care, so they're going to send me a new watch. The bad news is I no longer have an ETA on exactly when that's going to be. So it could be weeks before they actually send it to me. However, I can still track all of my stats with it, so you're you're not going to get away with um, winning the competition this month. It's going to be all me, baby. You know, there was there was some, you know, gossip in the, the channel about was does this mean Mickey was out for the month? And it turns out no. You do know that you can still carry your phone and it will track movement as well. There's obviously some differences, but your phone will do a lot of it as well. Ah, that's a very good point. Um, so I'm very happy with that. So my goals this year were to um try to get healthier. But for once, I'm going to try to do it in stages, not do it all at once and then give up. So this month is about just getting more exercise in and closing those rings. Next month, I'll make a small change to my diet and and so on and so forth. I am totally with you. Right now, for me, this has been hard. Unlike Mickey, I have not closed my rings every day. I missed two exercise days. So what are we at? Today is, by the way, dear listeners, January 20th, 2022. So I've done 18 months, and I'm going to hit my seventh day in a row uh, today, um, again, being back on from the when I screwed up. 
But fundamentally, I totally agree with Mickey that it's that progressive change, kind of like your DevOps journey, right? You make these progressive changes and it's, you can't do everything, uh, particularly if you're like Mickey and I, you know, you have jobs, you have family, you have things that you're responsible for. So step one was just to exercise. And then next we'll do the food because like you, Mickey, I think I have to change some of the food habits. If I really want to see change, I'm going to have to change some food. Now, a couple other things that have been going on with me from a technology standpoint, I've been trying to figure out my new iPad. I had a good friend give me a wonderful Christmas present uh, of an iPad, and but it's so much fancier than the iPad I had from eight years ago. I can do things like, like I'll accidentally be trying to look at something in a, in a web browser and it'll suddenly split it on the screen and I'll have two screens going on or I'll, it'll, and I can't figure out how to close one and not close the other. And I can't. So there's a lot of new things that I can do with this that, that I couldn't do with my other one. Plus I have a little keyboard for it and a pencil. So I'm trying to use it as a secondary device some with, because it's how I communicate with a lot of people as well. So I have it on my desk. So I'm just, I'm trying to learn the ins and outs of it. So it's a, it's definitely got a lot more bells and whistles than my other one did. And I can use it for much more than just watching Netflix. So I got that going on. And then my daughter, Emma, is out in Seattle where she has moved into a leadership role with the company that she's in now. She's leading a team. And so we've been having a lot of discussions around leadership. And so I've sent her two books so far to get her started. The first one was Who Moved My Cheese, which is all about when your cheese gets moved or when what you like to do or want to do or whatever gets moved, how do you adjust? And the other one is a book, Drive, by Daniel Pink, which is about what motivates teams, which is the whole autonomy, mastery, and purpose, which is something that we talk about a lot when we talk about the Microsoft DevOps journey as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, I've said those two, or I've told her to read them, that we're going to have some discussions around them because she came to me asking me for some leadership tips. I don't know if I'm necessarily the best person for that, but I'm going to tell her what I know. So that's what's been going on with me. What about you, Brian? Well, we've talked about the rings. Uh, work has been really good. I really enjoy my team and what we're working on. Um, I do have to give a shout out to Apple. So my daughter um, did really good, or did really well, really well in school. And it's just been, you know, really kicking butt and stuff. And she didn't destroy her previous phone, but she's had it now for a couple years. Um, I'd have to check duration, but definitely at least two, if not three. And I wanted to get her something nice for Christmas. So, you know, the phone is a good thing for her being a teenager and going out and stuff. And I love the find me and all that. So I got her for Christmas or we, my wife included, um, too bad. We're not Santa Claus, but you know, Hey, it worked out. And in getting it, I forgot to purchase Apple care. Now let's be honest. What I was doing is like, I didn't want to pay for Apple care for the first month when it was just going to sit in the box. Okay, I was being cheap is what you're saying. Hey, that 10 bucks, that's Starbucks, right? Uh, because I have been using the month-to-month plans, Mickey. Um, one of the things is they've got two types, right? You can buy the full in advance, which I used to do. But there's a benefit for the month-to-month. Because I'll often have the children keep theirs a bit longer, they will uh, exceed that two years. And I want to keep things like the screen protector. So I'll pay month-to-month until I know that they're not going to use it. So there goes that. So anyway, the problem was I missed the date. Apple gives you 60 days from the day you get it. So I ordered it in very early November, 
got it mid-November, so the clock started then. For some reason, Brian's brain had, when I activated it, which was Christmas Eve and when I got it ready for her. And so it turned out I was too late to get Apple Care. So Apple gets props because I called them. They said, actually, it's up to the store, but if you take it in, it's in good shape. Since you're so close, it won't be a problem. And sure enough, went to the local store. Oh, God bless anybody who works retail. That's all I've got to say. Um, <laughs> I always said that before, having worked retail, but now in light of COVID, it's even more significant. Um, so in either case, uh, we got through all the the hassle, got in the store, took about 10 minutes, and now my daughter's phone is protected because you do know if I didn't get Apple Care, dear listeners, she would crack the screen next week. I never thought about the fact that I just bought like the 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 two year plan, you know that 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 they sell. I didn't think about doing it month to month. I probably, in hindsight, for because I tend to keep my devices for longer than that two years. I probably should, in the future, consider doing the the month to month plan just to ensure I always have the the coverage. Because after dropping my phone a couple of times and then dropping my watch, it's definitely worth the peace of mind. Yeah, I think that's what really stands out. If you're someone who, you know, buys it and renews it or stuff or, you know, there's the whole thing of, you know, do you go caseless? And I'm a firm believer in the case for my iPhone. Absolutely. So we did that. That was awesome. Unfortunately, I think she wore herself out cuz they had a 3-day weekend and therefore she uh got sick a little bit, but she's doing better. They're back in school. And then for me, the big thing that went on around here is I've been working on my network. Now, we'll talk about this more next time. But I have, as you know, the, the Ubiquity network. And over time, I've acquired way more parts than one should have in their house. No, say it isn't so. Not you, Brian. You, you're such a technophobe. I can't imagine that you would have any you know, technology in your house other than just a very simple WR54T router. Yeah, so there's definitely some issues going on. Um, but one of the things I've been working on is getting my network working with my new Wi-Fi 6 access points plus getting my 1 gig and 10 gig networks isolated and very performant. So fingers crossed I'll have whipped that by the next time we talk. So that's kind of what's going on. Excellent. That sounds cool. Well, we've got some news as usual. Um, I want to follow up first, if you don't mind, Mickey, from last week. We talked about... That was going to be my intro to the news, but you didn't... um, Brian is consistently not following the script, so... <laughs> I feel, listeners, you can't see right now, but I've completely thrown Brian off. And for those of you that have not listened to our podcast before, this is pretty much how we operate. So, all right, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. You had some news. <laughs> all right. So I'll put the links in the show notes, but Microsoft has released patches and fixes for the server reboots, Hyper-V issue, and REFS bugs. So uh, definitely test those in isolation wherever possible and get your stuff fixed. Now, what were the, if you want to do a brief, what was that addressing? We mentioned that last week. So last Patch Tuesday, Microsoft released some updates that, for me, the biggest one that jumped out was 
you would apply this patch, and when you rebooted your server, any of your drives formatted with REFS, that's their resilient file system, would show up as raw. So you basically would lose your volumes. And then uh, there were additional issues with domain controllers rebooting, uh, as well as some issues with Hyper-V. And so they got feedback from customers. They pulled the offending updates, did some work, and they have released them. And this was as of the 18th. So um, I got a link to a Bleeping Computer article as well as The Verge, uh, if people want to read up on that. But yes, and you can see last week's show for the initial problems if you're curious about those. Awesome. So I've got a link here to the new GitHub Issues update. Now, have you played with our new version of GitHub Issues yet, Brian? Yes, I have. In fact, using it in anger the last couple of weeks with my team, I'm really liking it for certain types of work. I am too. And I'm really enjoying how they are consistently iterating and adding new features out and pushing those out as quickly as they can to the uh, general public for them to use as well. In this particular update, they're doing things such as adding the ability to see uh, reviewers on pull requests, which is going to be very, very handy. They're adding in new ways to, to filter the information, making it a little bit easier to display the fil- what's being filtered when you're viewing the information, and a lot of just, just various bug fixes and improvements. This is, they are definitely on their way to providing, I think, a lot of features in this tool that people want to use. And we're using it a lot internally and I've used it with customers and customers really like it because of all the ways you can easily, you know, change from a list view to a board view to some of the automation you can do. So I I think it's, you know, if you've not played with the the new version of issues yet, you should definitely give it a look. Yeah. I really think it's important when we think about modern software solutions that we have the appropriate and necessary views on top of our data because you know that's you know different people visualize things differently and so some of the more traditional mechanisms we've had like look at how things like the gantt chart for project management have in some ways fallen out of grace for things like kanban boards and backlogs and things like that so some of the stuff that we're doing in this space is i'm really excited to see and this will also tie into our what we're going to talk about in a little bit, which is just, you know, planning in general and how you do planning versus, you know, even individual planning as well as group planning. I got another one though, Brian, I got another one for you. Brian, do you ever like find a repo that you like and then click watch? Do you know what clicking watch in the repo does for you? I do it all the time. And have you ever like suddenly look gone, daggummit, I am watching so much stuff and getting all these notifications and I wish I wasn't getting all these notifications. I, I, I do have notification overload right now that I have to get control of. Well, we have now provided the ability by going to github.com slash watching to get a list of all the repositories that you are subscribed to. And then from there, you can unwatch individual repos or you could say unwatch all of them. And you're able to unsubscribe to all repos or you can say, I want to unwatch all of Brian's repos and I can unsubscribe to all of just Brian's repos. Well, that might make your life a little better because I'm so noisy. Yes, Brian is, is such a coder coding at all hours of the night. 
Sarcasm duly noted, my friend. Well, you're more of a coder than I am. But that's also that's a discussion for another podcast, though. Okay, I got a third one for you, though, Brian, which is, do you like gaming? I like it, but I fit very little time in my day for it. And I'm the similar, right? Before Game Pass, I used to just buy games and never take them out of the shrink wrap for the Xbox. Now I have Game Pass, so I download them to the to the, to the Xbox and never find time to play them, which is the same thing. But there is our annual game jam that we have called Game Off is over. The results are in. There were probably over about 500 amazing entries into it this year. And the idea was last November you were given the theme and the theme was bug B U G. And you were, the goal was to go design a game around that. And what's really cool about these games is most of them are playable in your browser and they're short, really short games. So like you just want to take five minutes to, to do nothing to clear your brain or whatever. Most of these games are perfect for that kind of thing. So I've provided you a link to the top entries from the game off and I haven't had a chance yet, unfortunately, to play any of these. But if you go look at the link and look at some of these things, some of them are just simple 8-bit you know, kind of games. Some of them have really gorgeous graphics and look just like, that's really impressive. And, some of the, and they're built with a variety of different things. Some are built with Unity and C Sharp. Some are built with Go. It's just a whole variety of different languages that people are using to build these things as well. That's really cool. I, I have to say I mimic some of your behavior. It's through my children that I get dragged into gaming, and I think they get the most out of the Xbox Game Pass than I do. But I make sure that I have it so when time comes, they go, oh, we got to play this game. At least I can play it with them. I will say right now my current obsession on the Xbox Game Pass that I play every once in a while on PC is Slay the Spire. Which is a little card, which is a rogue-based card game, and then on Xbox, it's Hades and the the new um, Halo are the things that I'm probably playing the most. Yeah, I've got Halo ready to go, but I have not had a chance to actually log in and do anything with it. As far as what I'm playing right now, uh, it still continues just to be Fortnite on the Xbox, and I have nothing on my PC that is fun at this point. GitHub is fun, dear listeners. Don't listen to Brian. Well, yeah, there you go. Okay, I don't have any <laughs> video games on my my pooter. <laughs> and I got one last article that I think was really interesting, which is how five open source communities are using GitHub discussions. So GitHub discussions are something that we built that are basically a forum that you can add onto each of your repos that allow you to have do Q and a, so you can ask a question and people can respond back and forth. And then you can mark something as an answer. And it's gotten a lot of good traction as far as the ability to, um, to really interact with the community. And we use them a lot internally as well. And you can use them to like ask questions, report bugs, play on roadmaps, pretty much anything. This is an article that talks about the, the way five different open source communities are using those GitHub discussions, including what I thought was really cool, NASA. There's a there's a whole section about how NASA uses it to to do things around building their core flight systems. 
yeah, discussions are something I was really happy to see GitHub add because I found the way that people used issues beforehand. We still have a lot of our communities still using issues primarily for these types of discussions. And I found it overwhelming to have the dis- discussion weaved into things like a PR or into a particular item. So I like the ability to have those A, conversations that have nothing to do with a specific issue and be a place to separate the larger impact an issue might be having on a system or a piece of software separate from the actual more tactical thing that I view the issues for. So I really like this. Um, and this is a really nice article. And like you, I do uh, find it cool whenever NASA is involved. You know, I grew up where, you know, having books on the space shuttle and some other National Geographic books just really I think I would have been just jawstruck and probably would have gone into the field if I'd have grown up in the, you know, during the space race of the late fifties and sixties. Um, just really great stuff. So I remember watching the the space shuttle on TV when it, when it, when it first launched and went into space and um, biggest, biggest regret is I had the opportunity to go work for NASA out of college and I took a different job than, than, than the job with NASA at the time. Well, the one good thing is that you might not be my best friend if I didn't have, or if you hadn't said no to NASA. So thank you. That's probably true. And daughters. So I am very, very glad for Emma and Meg. Yeah, I'm sure you would have had offspring with some other woman. I don't know. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that's all the news I've got for today, Brian. Well, I think that's good because... We have a topic to talk about that's near and dear to our hearts, planning. So when we talk about planning, whether you're making your own personal to-do list or plan out the next release of your application or next big thing, it's always important to have a roadmap of where you're going. And there are a variety of ways and tools to keep yourself organized. So we thought we might discuss some of the options available to you for both DevOps at large, but also things you might do personally. And we definitely have some insight of this because Mickey and I have been doing this for years. And I think both of us being software aficionados, uh, there's this need to try both digital solutions as well as more tactile solutions. So we've got a bunch of different things, but Mickey, I think I'll let you start here because you know you are revisiting some ways of your that you're doing things after trying things like bullet journals and other software. I am. I am. So let's talk personal first, right? Uh, before we talk about the the you know what we see companies do and what companies can do, let's talk like personal systems and tools. There, there's a lot of stuff out there, right? There's you know there's t- there's lots of systems out there. Bullet journaling is a system that's out there. Um, there, which is honestly that's using a paper journal to track everything, and I did that for years. And that worked well for me because I liked the sinking paper to, to the, the sinking my thoughts directly onto paper aspect of it. But then there's also a bunch of digital tools you can use. There's Microsoft To Do. There's Microsoft Planner. I use OneNote, but I don't use OneNote in a a very structured capacity. I use OneNote to track my daily work that I do. But for my general, when I'm trying to build my plans for the week, the month, or the year, I don't use it quite as much. And of course, if you go to YouTube right now, you're going to see so many people, because it's January, hawking productivity systems. And I'm not going to knock it. 
some if you don't use any kind of thing to plan, if you don't do planning right now, if you don't have a plan for what you want to accomplish this year in broad strokes, then you're never going to accomplish anything. And you're going to sit there at the end of the day and go, why, why am I not reaching my goals? Because you haven't made some kind of structure to help you reach your goals. Brian and I've talked about that a lot. In fact, he's pointed out to me on several occasions that, well, well, Mickey, when I complain and I go, I'm, I'm not getting everything done. I want to get done. And Brian will point out to me, well, let's look at what you're actually doing during the, during, during your day and during your evenings and let's reevaluate why. And it's because I'm not keeping myself organized enough. Yeah. Organization I think is critical. I think also, you know, what you do for your life. I remember years ago, Scott Hanselman wrote a blog post about his mechanism for organizing outlook. And I really liked that. And I embraced it. The problem with some of it is he was approaching it as an employee working for a company. It was, he was able to draw some boundaries that I, as a consultant, couldn't necessarily do because, for example, you know, people often say, well, don't look at email. Well, as a consultant, if I didn't look at email, I might lose a job. So my approach was definitely going to be, have to be different. So I think there's finding that adaptability to those things. But definitely, if you don't have something, you, you either have a very simple life, like you know, sometimes your children go to school, come home, play games, repeat, rinse, repeat. And their big thing is staying on track on a day-to-day th- basis in you know grade school, elementary, where it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. But as you get to a more mature level, start getting into you know mid-level, high school, and then definitely university and college, you start to understand this need to organize. In fact, what I do like is that both my children in their elementary school were taught how to take notes and how to do some organization. So they put some effort into that, something I never got. I had to learn it on my own. What about you? I'm the exact same way. I pretty much had to learn all of this on my own. And I've tried over the past several years to get a little more methodical in that. So I try a lot of different things and about every six months I'll modify my system or I'll try a new system to see if that makes things better or makes things worse. So in that, in the course of that, I've done just strictly bullet journal with just paper notes the whole way. I've done strictly just, you know, apps on my phone or apps on the computer. And I've also tried, I tried using Azure boards and I tried using GitHub issues and project boards, but for how I needed to track my work. And this is my work, not just like work, work, but personal stuff, like stuff I want to get done around the house or personal projects that I wanted wanted to do. Um, They were a little bit heavy for what I needed. Now, having a GitHub mobile app now on my phone has made that a little bit easier. So I'm probably going to revisit that. But ultimately, Brian, you know me, I'm a list maker. I like my lists. I like my lists of this is the order we're going to do the demo in our workshop. This is this is the order of, you know, what I'm going to do today. This is, you know, whatever my grocery list. Would you say I'm a list maker, Brian? I think you're a king list maker for sure. Um, and once again, I think the key there, and this goes back to that comment I made earlier about being able to apply lenses on top of data and being able to see what's going on can be a critical aspect of that, right? One of the things I used to do for a long time that drove my wife nuts because I would I have them is I would use legal pads and I would write lists of things to do every day and I would do it by hand and there were two benefits there for me. 
one is it meant that I could still write because I've gotten out of that and I, I now find that my writings digressed uh, to not be very legible. But the other thing is it was a memory exercise, even though something might carry over, it was to, to stay in my brain. So those, those were good things. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You're, you're, I'm a list maker as well. And I have some additional comments of my own in a, in a moment. But ultimately I fell back to using a method that I started using when I first started at Microsoft in 2018. And so when I first started at Microsoft 2018, I put out there, Hey, anyone have any suggestions for how to organize myself? And interestingly enough, do you remember Howard Durking? Remember him? I love Howard. So Howard gave me a a link to a blog post that talked about the method that he used. And he used Trello for this to where he had multiple lanes in Trello and he had like a backlog lane or he had a new lane. So just anything that popped in his head. And I've got a link to this um, in the show notes, but anything that popped in his head, he just immediately threw in the new. And then he had, and then once he had triaged that a little bit and put some thought into it, it went to his backlog. And then, then he had a, what I'm going to try to do this week, which he had locked at only 10 items you could put in there for this week. And then he had, what are the active items I'm working on, which are five, which would be five items that he had locked. And so it was, you know, it's that whole Kanban board way of, of trying to work where we're, we're, we're rate limiting what all we, we, we can potentially focus on and have access to. But what I loved was this new and this backlog because the new and the backlog gave me a place to just throw all my items. And then I knew that once I've done a little triage on them, they're in the backlog, which means they're going to get worked on or not going to get worked on at some point. And this is, I went back to this at the beginning of this year. And it is just, I am in a flow right now of, of being able to track what I want to do. I'm getting stuff done at work. I'm getting stuff done at home, projects at home I want to accomplish. So it's really working well for me. So I'm, I'm going to try this same system, I think, in the new version of issues to see how that works for me there as well. But overall, the flow that he outlines in his article is just working really well for me. So you said he not only told you, but he wrote an article about this? Yes, he wrote a whole little blog post about it. Well, that's awesome. So you'll, um, I see that we'll have that in the show notes, as well as we'll give you a little background on why we love Howard so much. But Howard was my editor at MSDN Magazine years ago when I was writing uh, the VSTS uh, developer column on how to automate VSTS. So Howard's a good guy. He lives down in uh, Texas now. Yep, he's down in Texas now. He's like... VP or senior VP at the company he works for. He's so a muckety muck. He's smart. Nice. He's guy. a muckety muck. Yep. Howard, if you're listening to this, you're a muckety muck. We'll have to make sure and shout him out on Twitter from the, the show's handle. By the way, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and all the other good stuff, but we'll just give you those handles a bit later. We still have more to talk about. But that's just kind of, that's a little insight into kind of how I'm going about tracking my stuff right now. And it's, and it's working for me. End of the day, you got to find something that works for you, though. What about you, Brian? What do you got going on? Well, my tried and true mechanism since 2008 has been Microsoft OneNote. And particularly with the fact that it now works so well in the cloud, plus on Windows, uh, there's a native Mac OS client, and it's available for me on my iPhone um, and my iPad. 
it really is still one of my go-to things. And I think part of it's because I have an approach of, of rigid hybrid organization or structure. And, you know, I have a method to my madness on how I do certain things, but I also, it has this, the rich search and the fact that you can search across all of your notebooks if you have them. So I have a machine, one of my VMs that has all of my notebooks. So I'll create a single notebook per year. And so I literally have one going back to 2008. So I've got that all the way covered. And then I'll sometimes have special project notebooks. For example, Mickey and I share one for this uh, podcast. And then um, usually on my uh, laptop or my travel machine, I'll keep a, a couple years on there. But I find that works. And then for what I do is I then have a new um, section that represents each month. And then I do a daily um, individual page per day. And the biggest thing I changed recently, and this before this year, it was around, I don't know if I say it was October, November. And what I did is I structured my page. I came with a basic template that worked for me. So at the top, I would, you know, sometimes put, you know, the thought for the day or whatever, but I would put the day of the week because, you know, sometimes, dear listeners, you're during COVID, you lose track of what's really going on. You know, where are you, right? What day of the week is it? So I would do that. I threw some emojis in and then I have my big rocks. So big projects I'm working on. And depending on what's going on, that might be hyperlinked to another page with some details on, or it might just be, hey, something to keep in your mind as you're working. So you are doing long-range planning in some form or fashion, right? If you're saying you've got your big rocks and you've got these big rocks, you've got information about these big rocks somewhere else. So in addition to doing this daily that you're tracking, which is I do the same thing. I have a daily log of what I've done during the day in OneNote, but you're also using it to track your bigger rocks as well. Exactly. What I found is I would create these big rock pages for anything that's going to take longer than the current month. And then depending on what it is, it may fit in some of my arguably this giant things. So, you know, there'd be like the house and within the house, I have the, the network, I have the honey do list. Um, I have things for the kids, those things. Um, yeah. And uh, traveling, right. I have a separate travel notebook that I keep all the stuff for both when I do my personal traveling, as well as when I book a family vacation. So those, that was kind of that big step. Then, I would make sure I didn't want to forget about stuff. Now, thankfully, my memory is pretty good. And so if it is important, it usually stays in the brain. But just in case, because you get busy, I put things that are hot, kind of the must get done today, right? Um, again, honeydew goes in that list very often. Uh, love my wife, 26 years last November. Thank you very much. Um, and then, then I have what I call what's next. And what's next, I'll typically do anywhere from three to five items that are literally sequential. Like you're going to do these things next. You're going to get off this call. Don't forget to call the doctor, make your appointment, do you do whatever. And I'll mix and match kind of personal work there with the caveat that the work thing will always just be the larger thing. It'll be a pointer over there, you know, to something else, but personal stuff, you know, feed the dog, whatever. And then I have the to do section and then there's to do. And then the very bottom I have done. And I can tell that basically if the page exceeds the height of my screen resolution, then I've got too much on my list and I just have to start pulling things off. So that's been my system. So let me ask you a question because I found this for me for a while when I really started getting into productivity systems and trying to track my work and everything else. 
I was spending more time organizing my productivity system and 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 futzing around with it than I was actually accomplishing things. Did you have you ever encountered that in not necessarily your method, but just in general? Totally, absolutely. In fact, that's been the problem. Why I haven't switched to other systems? That's why when I tried Azure Boards, I was spending a bunch of time pushing paper. And the thing with OneNote, the, the this next level was this, you know, organized structure. But then, guess what? I'd get to the new day, and I wouldn't necessarily copy everything over because I had yesterday's view there, and the search is so good in OneNote that I could find something if I forgot about, it, et cetera. And so between my structure, but then my free form, it actually worked out very well. Now that said, I love me some good software, so I haven't stopped looking for the next big thing. And so um, I'm looking at GitHub Issues V2. Again, having the mobile story is, is critical. Um, but I'm looking at two different products. One is because it came as part of a bundle I got on my Mac, called task heat and it's got some interesting stuff but the one that's leading right now is something called aeon timeline i may be butchering how they want you to say it dear listeners but it's aeon i'll include it but they have a mac version they have a windows version and they have a mobile client that runs on ios and what i love absolutely adore is single source of data but different views they do uh kind of a grid view they do uh, mind map views, they do uh, you know board views. It's really slick, and they've got different templates that you can start with. So I'll report back on that more later as I try and get into it. Ooh, I just pulled up the website while you were talking, and this looks kind of interesting. Yes. I am a big fan of visualization as well. That's the one thing with my Kanban board method that I don't necessarily get as much of is, other than, you know, Kanban board but I don't get that visualization aspect. So this looks pretty cool. Exactly. And, and I think this is where I'm torn because OneNote just works for me and it's, it's kind of embedded in my brain. I mean, come on, we're talking over 12 years. The flip side is it's just generally text as far as the things I've done. I don't have this good visualization. I don't have scoping. I don't have sizing. Um, so yeah, I'll report back on that. But those are some of the personal things. But you know, I mentioned Azure Boards which then, you know, kind of is, you know, what do you DevOps teams do? And that's where we get into not only the tools, but then we go back to the thing is people have their view of it. And then there's the dreaded process thing, right? What are you doing? Oh, absolutely. And that's, you know, comes from, you know, are you doing Scrum? Are you doing real Scrum or your version of Scrum? Um, are you going to try to do scaled agile framework, which we're not even going to touch with a 10 foot pole on this, this call. There's so many different ways that companies can, can plan how they're going to build their software. There's so many different methods out there. And honestly, I've probably worked with 10 different customers over the past six months and all 10 of them each did it differently. No, that's a hundred percent true. You know, the, the, the fact that you bring up the different types of scrum, right? Uh, one of the things that, you know, having gotten done my certification with scrum.org is I'm definitely a believer in professional scrum, but professional scrum is very focused on doing well what is prescribed in the scrum guide without any other fluff and that which is not forbidden, well, you can consider and work it in. Um, and one of the great things that they've also done is we've you can weave in some great things around flow and some of the principles from Kanban very easily bring those together. but 
when you look at what organizations do, they will very rarely take something off the shelf, no matter, you know, they probably sent half the, you know, every org I've been to recently has sent developers to at least some type of training, right? They've done something, but then there's always the company way. Well, this is how we do it here. And there's this, just like with personal planning, there becomes this mix of tools and technologies with other things. So for example, one of my customers uses Azure DevOps and in using Azure DevOps, they use Azure boards, but their product team, and they've got some dysfunction. Um, the team that does a lot of their product planning uses another tool called AHA. And that is a, a mechanism that product planners like to use and provides a different way of visualizing. And I think that's what we get into the criticality of it is there is no one right answer. Would you agree, Mickey? That is 100% true. There is no one right answer as far as the tools to use or honestly, the methodology to use either. I work with a lot of customers that were, that are moving to GitHub that, you know, they're going to move to GitHub. They want to use GitHub Actions. They want to use repos, but they want to stay on Jira or they want to stay on Azure boards because those systems work the way they want themselves to work. Doesn't mean that issues couldn't do what they want, but that's just the tool that has the corporate buy-in at the time. That's the best of breed corporate tool that has been chosen to use. So at the end of the day, there's not necessarily a, a one method to rule them all or one technology to rule them all, but do something because I actually have also had customers that their planning for how they were building the next version of their software was so ad hoc. It literally was, we had some post-it notes on the developer's monitor of the, of the next features that we wanted to build. And again, the scope and size of what you're building will definitely have impact. on. We talk about NASA. I want NASA to do some serious planning, you know, uh, Boeing, Airbus, building aircraft that I'm going to fly in. You know, take your time. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, right? You can still do agile, right? Agile does not mean sloppy, right? Sometimes it's misinterpreted that way. Um, but at the same time, you might need certain levels of checks and balances. But again, a small team building something, you know, especially when you're building the next big thing and you're in that startup mode, you may have more opportunities to just do and learn by doing, right? And so I think it's that, that wide range of choices that makes the industry so broad and diverse and why it's always a, it's an appends answer and why we go back to that theme of people, process, and products when it comes to picking the what you're going to do. And I have found, though, that, you know, Brian, we make a lot of demos. You and I make a lot of demos for, for talks, for, you know, for really long workshops, et cetera. And it used to be that I really didn't do much planning in the demos or I kind of just sketched it out maybe a little bit on paper. And then I just kind of wrote and wrote and wrote. But lately here, I've been finding that, you know, especially as I'm building demos when I'm working with other people on the demos together to try to build them, that having a little more structure around that helps. So I'm tying this back into your, you should have a level of planning based off of kind of what you're building as well, right? Just me doing stuff on my own. Do I not, for, for a demo, do I have to do a whole project board for it? No, that's probably overkill unless that's part of the demo. But like when you and I are working together on an eight hour workshop, it makes a little more sense to have a little more structure there with maybe some issues where we can track things. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I think part of it comes down to the criticality of not missing something, right? You know, a big reason for when we do the planning now, I think has helped us is when we write an abstract and, you know, I want to make sure we hit everything we've promised to the attendees. And so that becomes critical in our plan to make sure that while we may see something as shiny and fun, that we don't trade one of those for something that we promise, some piece of value, right? And that goes back to the core thing, that value delivery on what you're working on. And dear listeners, that's probably the key point here is no matter what you use, it's going back to that focus on your users don't care what you work with. They do care about, you know, you know depending upon the system you're building, that they can give you feedback and that you'll listen to it, but they don't really care about the tool. They care about the results that you're delivering with the tools and the technologies that you're building with. Um, I've said this before. People don't care if you write code in C-sharp, Java, or assembly language. If it's fast, if it meets their requirements, it's secure, all those things, then they'll be happy. Absolutely. Well, hey, I want to give a quick shout out to a listener email that we got. We got listener mail. I love listener mail. Can you open up the mailbag and tell me what it said? So we got an email from, and I do apologize in advance for any slaughtering of names. But we got an email from Erwin Stahl, who says, Hi, Mickey. This morning in the car, I listened to your podcast with Brian. It's good to hear that you started it again. All the best, Erwin. So never- we have at least one listener. I'll, I'll never say no to someone saying something nice like that. So, Erwin, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Um, and please, you know, if there's a topic that's of interest to you, Erwin, let us know because we'd like to keep you company in your car rides. Absolutely. And remember, you can find out more about the show at devops.fm, the website. You can email us at the show at devops.fm. And I think we're on Twitter, but I can't remember the Twitter handle. Do you remember the Twitter handle, Brian? Brian might have to remember the login for the Twitter handle. No, it's it's in it's in LastPass or One Password. But yes, we'll we'll add that to our notes for next time, and we'll start using it, dear listeners. Um, but in either case, uh, Mickey, where can they find you? Well, people can find me at my website, MickeyGousset.com, or on Twitter, which I do remember that handle at Mickey underscore Gousset, or you can send me an email at mickeygousset at github.com, but I'd really love for you to check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mickeygousset, which is where I'm putting content around GitHub and DevOps and you know technical content like that. Kind of took this past week off because I was working weird hours, but I'm back on track. Should have some more content up there next week. I'm about to do a whole series on the GitHub CLI. So if you're interested in the GitHub CLI, then... I encourage you to come check this out. It's going to be short five to seven minute videos, and I'm going to try to cover all the different aspects of what you can do with it. What about you, Brian? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on my blog. That's blog.brianrandall.com. I'm on Twitter at at Brian Randall. You can also email me at brian.randall. That's R-A-N-D-E-L-L, and it's Brian with an I, so B-R-I-A-N dot R-A-N-D-E-L-L at github.com. And you can tweet the show, which is at DevOps FM. I looked up the Twitter handle. That makes sense. That's a logical name for a podcast called 
DevOps FM. I think the key point is what could we get? And luckily I was able to get that handle. So someone was nice to us out there. Well, there you go. on that bombshell, be good humans, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>